to the Intellectual Freedom Podcast. Here we analyze politics, culture, technology, and society at large through the lens of critical thinking and open-mindedness, not demagoguery and partisan hyperbole. I am Dr. David Hopkins, Humanities Professor, your host and guide. So without further delay, let's get started. Technology has just evolved dramatically, but the human brain has not fundamentally changed for centuries. It could be argued that literally everything important that needed to be said in life was already said by the 4th century BC. Everything else is just simply regurgitation in a new form. As I bring up the topic of AI and computer algorithms embedded in smart devices, social media, search, and the likes of YouTube, I think sometimes we tend to oversimplify the problem. As a humanities professor, I never in my life dreamed, even 10 years ago, this would be a topic of incredible importance in culture. As I look at it and see it, I'm really stunned by the profound impact, yet we all generally are just watching it happen almost with indifference. Helen Keller said, Science may have found a cure for most evils, but it has found no remedy for the worst of them all, the apathy of human beings. We all need to objectively evaluate technology, not with hyperbole, conspiracy theory, but look at what it is, what it is doing, and how it has become to dominate our lives so profoundly. Things like this don't just happen just because. Let's slow down and look at it carefully and systematically. It's that important. When I look at the power structures, I may be speaking about capitalism, communism, corruption, dictators. When dealing with the control of societies by one group or another, yet we may be on the cusp possibly of the most influential force in culture and civilization we have ever seen, and it's called technological singularity. The technological singularity, also sometimes just called singularity, is this hypothetical point in time at which technological growth becomes so uncontrollable and irreversible, and it results in unforeseeable changes to human civilization. According to the most popular version of the singularity hypotheses called intelligence explosion, an upgradable intelligent agent eventually enters this runaway type reaction of self-improvement cycles. Each new and more intelligent generation appearing more and more rapidly causing an explosion in intelligence and resulting in a powerful superintelligence that qualitatively far surpasses all human knowledge and intelligence. In essence, what this means is machines become the most powerful force on earth and humans are relegated to this subservient position. And then ultimately the human in essence becomes irrelevant and inconvenience, not necessary. Now, I do not believe we are anywhere near the point of uncontrollable and irreversible growth yet, but it seems we are flirting with this concept 
in far too many ways. We're just so connected to machines right now. I do worry about this internet of things pushing us into a danger category. You know, with the convergence of all these multiple technologies, real-time analytics, AI machine learning, data tracking, algorithm analysis of your movements, commodity sensors, explosion of social media, and other embedded system, technology has far transcended our initial concepts. Think about it. You wake up in the morning, your smartphone is at your side immediately. Millions wear Fitbits or Apple Watches. Your kitchen appliances are smart. They can tell when you're running out of milk now. It surrounds you. And as you leave your house, you activate your smart home protection features. They watch for you everything that happens in your house. You get in your car and there's a GPS tracking system inside of your vehicle. Your every move, every turn every stop. You work in full connected office environments. You order lunch through apps and it goes on and on and on all day, every day. There is literally nothing you do that isn't under the watchful eye of technology. Technology and the human have, in essence, merged into one. AI, social media, and this intelligence of machines is altering the course of our human history like we could have never imagined. And this is why it really fascinates me from a humanistic perspective. Technology has always revolutionized life. Let's not pretend it hasn't. The printing press, the steam engine, electricity. We can just go on and on. Yet we haven't really seen anything so all-consuming to human life as this new computer technology. There is so much talk and concern in society about humans worrying that machines will take our jobs and practical replacement of things we do. And obviously we experience this every day. Self-checkout lanes have probably already displaced thousands and thousands of jobs as just one simple example. Automation has taken millions of manufacturing jobs, albeit they claim new, more advanced jobs have been created, and I'm sure there have been some. The reality is in many jobs have already been lost and there's going to be more and more and more in different sectors. Others really fear that dystopian science fiction movie like The Terminator where machines become smarter and stronger than us and their vast intellect it de- determines it more beneficial for the planet to destroy humans rather than work with them. Yet right now, in 2020, we have a much more immediate concern with our machines, causing major damage and loss of life right now. Someday I suppose it is possible that machines can overpower our strengths as humans. I sure hope I'm not alive to witness anything like this. But actually, the first thing machines will learn to overcome and is already doing it is our weaknesses, our human frailties. This is actually the low-hanging fruit of AI technology, and it is being deployed today. And this is what I want to focus on in this podcast. Not the future what-ifs, but today, right now, in practice, and clearly observable to all of us. 
Humans are prone to addiction, self-esteem issues, anxiety, fears, desires to belong, greed, radicalization, polarization. So actually, AI will overpower our weaknesses first. And AI will and already is using our weaknesses to manipulate us as it is much, much easier than overcoming our strengths. In fact, it has overpowered our weaknesses. We just don't fully realize the extent just yet. Case in point, I want to bring up a tiny country. Some of you surely have heard news tidbits of this. It did make the news. Uh, really going all the way back to like 2013 to 2015. But there's this country, Myanmar, or formerly known as Burma. This country in Southeast Asia. If you don't know about this, I recommend you have a look at the atrocities that happened by a brutal racist dictator that was in charge. And you'll be able to see how he found a very quick, expedient way to gain support to basically ethnically cleanse a Muslim minority group there. And you know how he did it? Facebook. This dictator, before he took power... There were only about 2 million Facebook accounts in the entire country. Then after he took power, he started a program to ensure that every single cell phone sold in the country had Facebook preloaded on the phone. It literally became law that any cell phone provider had to include Facebook as a pre-installed app on their phone. I'm sure Facebook was absolutely thrilled with this because of the millions of Users, it could just automatically see facing them right at the purchase of a new cell phone. Facebook users in that country shot up to 30 million from 2 million. These users had basically very little technological savvy in social media, fake news, manipulation of the media, and the results were absolutely staggering. So as soon as Facebook became just embedded in life as it happens even in the western hemisphere as well developed countries well the government began its manipulation campaign on facebook creating fake news creating viral videos other impression manipulation tactics is almost a hitler-esque campaign against the muslim minority ethnic minority and the result thousands murdered and raped over 73 730,000 refugees having to flee the country. Facebook actually made it child's play when the government sanctioned and encouraged to spread these fake news stories. It quickly propagated and it spread so fast it fueled the flames of anger and division over, over people that had lived in these villages for centuries. And this anger started to brew almost out of nowhere and the people were so manipulated that literally entire villages wiped out and right now Myanmar is in the process of erasing the existence of these villages the the minorities lived in from the actual maps of the country as if they didn't exist. How could they do this? How is it possible? Spreading hate? racism, fake news, driving wedges between people of different ethnic and racial groups, and it worked. It worked 
horrifically well. Ever seen online Americans spewing hate or spreading fake news, attempting to drive wedges between each other? Yeah, we do. Of course we do. All the time. Stuns me. There are certain Facebook groups that I've joined, and they're supposed to be about debate, critical thinking, Socratic method, and I see almost as much hate spewed in these open debate societies that I see just in the plain old news forums. It's actually incredibly scary. So it's time the blinders come off completely about your activity online. The tech giants and these huge social media titans, they are not your friend. In fact, they have studied you intensely. They have studied you and have so much data about you. It probably is not wrong to say they know more about you than you even realize about you. No, that can't be, you say. Well, let's get into it. I want to introduce you to the Stanford Behavioral Design Lab. Probably never heard of it unless you work in tech and social media out in Silicon Valley. But it's very well known out there as the most influential tech superstars really have studied there. And it's led by a professor, Dr. B.J. Fogg. Here he is how they describe themselves on the Stanford University website. And you can go and read this for yourself. This human tech laboratory, quote, creates insight into how computing products from websites to mobile phone software can be designed to change what people believe and what they do to bring about positive change in many domains, including health, business, safety, and education. With such ends in mind, we are creating a body of expertise in the design, theory, and analysis of persuasive technology, an area called captology. Oh, it sounds so nice and academic, and what a wonderful benefit to society. Oh, this is so great. You know, I almost laughed out loud when they said bring about positive change in many domains. Oh, my goodness. I guess if we can call depression and suicide of preteen girls up triple digits since social media, an internet addiction spiraling out of control, an anger off the charts and division and divide, um, I guess if that's positive change, then yes. Otherwise, not so much. You need to get this. You need to make sure everyone around you gets this. They know where you live. They know where you go. They know where you like to eat. They know what news you like to read. They know your political leanings. They know your family, where your family live. They know the sports teams you like or whether you hate sports. They know what you don't like, who you don't like, who you may be quarreling with. They know the type of music you listen to, when you listen to it, where you listen to it. They know where you go on vacation, where you work. They know the type of food you buy, the type of furniture you like, the type of home you live in, the car you drive. The car you would like to drive, the clothes you have, the type of clothes you would like to have. They know when you're happy, worried, studying, what you're curious about, your health, what you're checking about your health. They know where you went to college and where you might want to go to college, all the way down to your fingernail polish and where you bought it, to where you eat lunch on a given day. You and me are lab rats in an experiment of all the digital media titans. They want to know you you psychologically more than even you probably want to think about yourself. But the question is, why do they care so much? And also, what is the big deal? 
I want to return to the kindergarten reason tech tends to give us why they want our data. They say it would make life easier for us, to make life more convenient for us, for giving us what we want when we need it so we don't have to go out and look for it for ourselves. Oh, those are such dangerous words. Making life easy and convenient for us. Sure, when they are spoken by a government or tech giant, this type of help is playing with fire. As really, this isn't what big tech is about at all. What they really want to do is not to help make things more convenient, but what they really want to do is control and manipulate your behavior, like they did in Myanmar. The dictator moved literally an entire nation to believe these ethnic minorities needed to be exterminated or removed because they were evil, bad, and destroying the country. Manipulation tactics demonized these people, and they were murdered and raped, removed from their homes, removed from their country. Hundreds of thousands of them. Yeah, this is maybe one of the scariest potentials of tech. Tech even states this goal of manipulating and changing behaviors is the highest aim of the industry. And one of the most prestigious tech centers in America, training these future tech leaders, it's a field very few really know about, but I mentioned it. It's called captology. You need to know this term, as it is manipulating your life right now through social media and search that you use every single day. So let's define this term so you know what it is. Captology is the study of computers as persuasive technologies. This area of inquiry explores the overlapping space between persuasion in general, influence, motivation, behavior change, etc., and computing technology. This includes the design, research, and program analysis of interactive computing products. Such as, you know, your web, desktop software, specialized devices, smartphones. Created for the purpose of changing people's attitudes or behaviors. This is not a convenience thing. They literally are telling you that these tech machines, this AI technology, is not about making things easier for you. It's about changing your attitude and your behavior. There really are three cornerstone psychological theories or human traits that the tech industry can prey on most easily. And they can build, design, deploy technology to use psychology against the human brain. I think it's well worth our time to understand how tech and AI is attempting to manipulate you. Here's the first psychological principle. It's called operant conditioning, and you've probably heard of this it's a type of associative learning process through which you know the strength of behavior is modified by reinforcement or punishment. Tech so far isn't so much honing in on the punishment behaviors as they are honing in on the reinforcing behaviors. And I want to reduce down some basic psychology to a simple level. So my apologies to any psychologists out there who might be listening. But there was this individual, his name was Edward Thorndike, and he lived around the, in the early 1900s, and he developed this thing called the Law of Effect, which states that behaviors, when followed by satisfying consequences, 
they tend to be repeated. And those that produce unpleasant consequences are less likely to be repeated. I mean, it's a no-brainer, right? We all get this. I mean, we all, I would do things that would tend to lead to a positive reinforcement and tend not to do things that lead to a negative reinforcement. That's kind of simple. Um, anyone who has even had to train a dog to to go to the, to sit, uh, you know, give them a treat, and over time they're going to learn the process and they're going to do it. So it's a basic idea. We take it a little bit further with a psychologist by the name of B.F. Skinner, and he took Thorndike, Thorndike's theory to another level, and he created what was known as the Skinner box, and he wanted to prove this theory in actual practice and basically he took pigeons and rats isolated them exposed them to careful controlled stimuli and the arrangement allowed these subjects to to make one or two simple repeatable responses and the rate of each response became skinner's primary behavioral measure and it was incredibly successful it proved that idea of thorndike almost conclusively that animals including humans when they experience a pleasurable outcome, they will almost incessantly, eventually obsessively, seek out those positive serotonin hits if they're left unchecked. And thus, human behavior can be manipulated or trained, normalized on causes of intentional behavior. And for the tech engineers, this question becomes, how can they embed this psychological theory into online products so if you're an engineer a tech engineer and you're charged with keeping users engaged on an app or a program or a website one of the best ways is positive intermittent reinforcement you are conditioned by intentional design technique to always carry your phone everywhere how often do you go somewhere for any length of time without it? If you're like almost everyone, your answer is probably almost never. Not only do you carry it, you are conditioned to always check your phone. There's always these wonderful little innovations they come up with. Photo tagging makes you want to see it, check it. This got people tagging each other's photos all day long and keeps them doing it and checking it all day long. Like Skinner's box, the rat pushing the lever for the reward. We comment on the comment about the comment. Each time a little ding or a vibration in your pocket from your phone that you have something new, you better check your phone. You got an update. You got a notification. You got a friend request. They're not. The tech giants are not making things easy for you. They are literally manipulating your behavior. Those apps, the games, the websites, they are calling you back to them all day long they are in essence controlling you yet we don't really appreciate this manipulation because it is it's subtle but a recent study said we touch tap swipe check our phones 2,617 times a day on average that is no small number now to me even as I hear that that is imp I, I can't even I can't even fathom that I, I truly can't. Now, I am sure there's days on my phone I will tap, touch, swipe, check, you know, hundreds of times. 2,600 just seems an obsession beyond what I can appreciate. 
but let's even say it's a half of that or a quarter of that or hey even 10% of that 200 times a day seems pretty addictive to have a look at your phone ironically most always say there's just no way I would ever do such a thing uh, alcoholics often say the same thing that they don't drink that much while denying they have a problem humans have created a world in which online connection is primary this is our life now our primary means of connection is electronic I remember the days when cell phones first came out and for the first times that I realized that even my son didn't want to talk on the phone rather he would rather be text about it now it's just commonplace almost nobody wants to talk on the phone anymore yet even these relationships and how you become connected the only way it is financed is through this sneaky third person who's paying to manipulate those two people those fine friends those notifications those like buttons they're all manipulations to keep you engaged and connected to the media the longer you stay connected the more you interact the more data they accumulate and we really are none the wiser the more you do the more they learn about you the more they can sell and they can influence you here's something we have to realize online if the product is free then you are what is for sale if they give away a phone they let you access an app for free it costs insane amounts of money to employ the technology experts to keep those systems running and to monitor and evaluate and tweak and so they have a strong vested interest to keep you there at the core the very meaning the very essence of your connections online if you really look at it is deceit and deception they've artificially facilitated this for you but they facilitated this for you but for the benefit of the company let's be honest if you go through your friends on Facebook LinkedIn Instagram Twitter how many of those people would actually be there if you found yourself in a life crisis for you how many of those people have you actually held a real live conversation with in the last two years three years see these companies are playing with your emotions to keep you coming back for more and more hits of the drug literally the same way the rat in Skinner's box kept hitting the lever for that endorphin rush you get a similar rush and reward for each contact each notification each friend request each update the phone apps they call you back over and over again the second psychological thing that tech giants know is you have a very strong urge to belong see across individual societies any era humans consistently seek inclusion in groups over exclusion membership over isolation and acceptance over a rejection humans have a need to belong this isn't superfluous this isn't just some random thing that you might like humans need to belong you could even call it an unending drive to form and maintain at least a minimal quality quantity of these lasting positive impactful relationships and most of us satisfy this need by joining groups surveys consistently show 
86% of Americans live with somebody else. Might be family member, might be spouse, might be partner, might be roommate. The majority, ranging from 50 to 80% of Americans, report regularly doing things in groups, such as attending a sporting event, visiting one another, sharing a meal, or going out as a group to see a movie. Groups not only satisfy that need to belong, they also provide information, assistance, social support. Leon Festinger had a theory of social comparison. He was from the mid-1950s, and he suggested that in many cases, people join with others to evaluate the accuracy of their personal beliefs and attitudes. We seek validation and not just inclusion. Sure, I know we get annoyed sometimes when we're around too many people for too long a period of time, or maybe it's just certain people for long periods of time, but the reality is we all, as humans, have this deep desire to be with other people. Social media engineers, when they are designing apps and features, understand fully that we have a biological imperative to connect with people. Even when we connect with friends that are not even really friends or close friends, or heck, maybe they're not even friends at all, but you got a friend request. It's like, oh, this person knew such and such who knew this person, and so thus, wow, here's a friend request for you. Every time, there's just this tiny little dopamine rush. You have a friend request. We rush to see it. Unless it really is some enemy from the past, we almost certainly accept the invitation. Social media truly optimizes that need, that desire, that passion for connection between people. I mean, really, this is the calling card and marketing spin for Facebook and others. Social media for many, sadly, with this desire to connect, it becomes a crutch. It's a pill. It's that social elixir to make all well when things aren't well. When we're uncomfortable, lonely, afraid, uh, we have this little digital pacifier to protect and soothe us. The problem is this, this world, it's not actually real. We post and validate us. We, we post and others validate us. They console us. They praise us. They encourage us. Oh, this just makes us feel so good. If a non-human would look and see a Facebook feed, look at my lunch photo, and then 10 comments. Oh, that looks great. Wonderful. Wish I was there. This would be enough to show the social validation component of social media. So in general, when we look at social media giants, they have engagement goals, keeping you glued to your community as long as possible every day. They have a growth goal, making that community as large as possible, using you to suck in more people into the group. And then with a very large community that it's incredibly active, then the third goal comes into play, making lots of money in advertising. All of this hinges on how active and large the community is. So it must modify your behavior so that you, in essence, will become salespeople for the community to spread the community to make it bigger. So, of course, the tech engineers want to focus on the psychology of community. The third thing, it's an addiction factor. Humans have this. In the end... At a very dangerous level, social media leads to addiction. 
this isn't anything that the tech giants would say they wanted to have happen. But let's be real. A business model that is designed to drive a person as much as possible back to the app whereby they serve them up likes, tags, forwards, friends, requests, hearts, thumbs up, or whatever. And each one of those tiny little notifications reward the person for returning and a dopamine hit is the result. Is it any wonder some people literally become addicted to social media? There's only two industries that call their customers users, tech companies and illicit drug dealers. So let's talk about the addiction. It really is a brain disorder characterized by compulsive engagement in rewarding stimuli despite adverse consequences. Despite the involvement of a number of psychosocial factors or even biological processes, addiction is induced by repeated exposure to an addictive stimulus. This is the core pathology that drives the development and maintenance of an addiction. Does that sound at all to you like what social media is about? The bottom line is the tech industry wants to find the best psychological way to manipulate you and then use this to give you dopamine hits. They use your vulnerabilities to maximize the impact. Yeah, certainly someday we may get to a point where AI could become so powerful The singularity concept where it grows more and more intelligent that it surpasses humans and it becomes able to overcome our strengths. But right now, it's feeding on our weaknesses, our psychological weaknesses as humans. And that's how they are manipulating us. You know, we are curating our lives around this this fake world, this sense of perfection of our online selves because it generates rewards in the short-term signals in our brain, just like an addiction to a substance. Once we conflate our online persona with value and truth, instead of what it is, it's this fake brutal popularity that can very easily leave you more vacant and empty than before you even started. So compensate, you do. So to compensate, With this, you do it over and over and over again, just like an alcoholic. They need more and more and more alcohol to be satisfied. We know social media is addictive. We've seen a gigantic increase in teen depression, starting ironically around 2011, which ironically is when social media really started to take hold in modern culture. Even more horrifying Suicides are up 70% from this younger demographic from a decade prior. And girls and teenage girls have seen the highest jumps. This Generation Z crowd has been on social media since middle school. They've never known a life basically without social media. They are the most anxious, depressed, sedated with drugs of any prior generation. 
Is this just a mere coincidence that just out of nowhere, as society becomes more and more affluent, that we have more and more ease in our life than ever, that the younger generations are becoming more anxious, depressed, sedated with Ritalin than any other prior generation? It doesn't make sense. It cannot be just a mere coincidence. And I have a feeling that the science is going to bear this out definitively, fully at some point. Now, you might be saying, come on, you're just overhyping this whole thing. Technology has always changed society. Yet, I want you to consider it may be different this time due to one key distinction. We have moved from this tools-based society. Our technology used to revolve around making tools to make things easier. Creating things we can use. Nobody got upset when we created a washing machine or a car or a hammer or the invention of the wheel. Those tools, though, they just sit around. They're inanimate objects and they wait to be used. But with technology, it's different. See, these smart machines, these algorithms... This artificial intelligence has moved us from a utility, a tool we use, into an addiction manipulation surveillance product. See, this tool called technology, social media, internet, this internet of things, it's actually demanding of you. It wants something from you. And what does it want? Your time. All of it or at least as much as it can squeeze from your life. See, the money is made not on the thing, the phone, the Google web browser, the YouTube site. The money is made from tracking, monitoring, understanding you so that it can sell a product, an advertisement. And if it can manipulate you to take more of your time away from you, that's how it is most successful. A hammer never called to you that it needed you to pick it up and use it. But your cell phone does. Your smartphone does. That's the key distinction. It's a big difference between a utility. A utility, a washing machine doesn't want anything from you. Your smartphone does want something from you, your time. So if there is one final fact that should close the case on how dangerous these products are. In 2018, a Business Insider published an online article and the title of it is, and you can Google it and you can read it, Silicon Valley parents are raising their kids tech free and it should be a red flag, end quote. There's your title. Basically, the gist of this article is this. Social media and over cell phone usage destroys the brain. And these tech giants know it. These tech giants manipulates the mind. And so as they create products for everyone to use, they don't let their own children use these products. Most of them, if you read the article, want to push off their kids' cell phone usage and online usage until they're seniors or until they reach into the high school age limit. So this is big. Even one of the individuals cited in this particular article was a chief AI engineer at this one at this machine learning startup called One Smart Lab, and he said this quote, You can't put your face in a device 
and expect to develop a long-term attention span, end quote. That's powerful. These tech giants are selling you a product that they won't even let their own children use. That should be a major wake-up call to you and how you approach technology yourself and with your children. I know so much of this stuff is out there on the internet, but I think it's so vitally important to keep reinforcing what we are what we are using and how we are using social media and technology in general. I know I've heard that social media it's a force for good and it's no doubt it's done amazing things. You know, people have gotten heart transplants, people in dire need of have found a rallying support group. People who had been disconnected for years found them their ways back together. So, I mean, I'm not going to deny the fact that there's value in social media. However, we need to be very cognizant and we need to be very careful how we use this technology. Because the reality is these tech companies, they're playing for keeps. And we cannot zombie walk through how we use and view technology. The power to acquire data and more importantly manipulate data to learn about us, to shape our views and change our behavior is a type of power that we have never seen in the history of civilization at this level. I've studied history in the humanities for over 20 years and the potential for corruption and abuse is staggering with this technology. Just as we saw in Myanmar, imagine this technology in the wrong hands on a global scale. So let's all just use social media but also not pretend that this thing is all good and doesn't have a potential to harm us. Just as if you own a firearm, it can serve as a tool of protection, but if one is not careful and diligent, it can lead to death and destruction. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast Investing Your Time today. Technology doesn't have to lead us to the destruction of the human race as we know it, but we have to control it and use it like all technology, properly, ethically, humanely. If not, this technology has destructive power like we have never seen before. So let's take control of it. Remember, each Monday and Wednesday I release new episodes, and if you click the like and follow, you will be alerted when new episodes publish. Until the next podcast.